Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm the other one. Hello, everyone. <laughs> who, who shall be, remain nameless in I this I think they figured it out by now. They do. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, um, I was talking to some people at uh, about like favorite podcasts and things and how, how you first get into podcasts. And uh, I think I think because of when we started, most of our podcasts were streamed on YouTube and we have like the LinkedIn stuff so people people know us. But I was, we were talking about when you see the two hosts of a podcast and then you're trying just from the image to go like, whose voice is whose? Oh, yeah. That's right? And I'm wondering how many people have, with, they saw like our photos would go, huh, which one is which? Like I'm keen to like do a bit of a survey, there especially to a live podcast. Like raise your hand if you thought that one was Ben. <laughs> I mean, there's also almost definitely enough video content out there yeah. for Cordy if he feels like it. And has suddenly lots of free time <laughs> to produce a like voice switched version, yeah. right? Where you could overlay my so voice trippy. over your yeah. mouth moving, yeah, yeah. and vice versa. We should do it just to I, wind I people up, <laughs> just for my own morbid curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned for the April Fools episode of twenty twenty four. Yeah. Um, speaking of voice transfiguration, this is a good segue. It is. We won't, so one of the one of the most popular requests we've gotten from from listeners is to dive into the topic of sort of reputational risk, how the insurance industry sort of presents itself to protect against it, but also sort of how it trend, how it sort of is presented in our industry, how our industry thinks about reputational risk. Um, but when I was thinking about it, I, I sort of saw it as sort of two categories. You have the reputational risk of a firm, like a big brand, a Coca-Cola or Twitter or X, as it's now called, um, but also you have the reputational risk and, and threats of, a, of an individual, sort of this key person risk in Elon Musk character or, or Mark Zuckerberg character or similar. Um, that's kind of how I started thinking about what is, like, what are we solving for? Like, what is the thing that we're trying to protect against? And then we can go into sort of how the insurance industry, like, lends itself to provide solutions and support this sort of dynamic Absolutely. And, it, and it's a really fun one because, I mean, not not because of this. I, Well, partly because of this, I suppose. But the fact that the industry has not been able to fully meet the full needs of customers worried mm -hmm. about reputational risk has made it like one of those always trying but never fully achieved yeah. uh, sort of product areas, yeah. which is quite fun. I remember uh, Aon and I'm sure a bunch of others as well. I published quite regularly these surveys and reports where they interview all of their clients, uh, sort of risk managers, and say, you know, what's your, your top 10 risks right now? And every year they could produce a huge aggregated report. Uh, and quite frequently, reputation would be up there near the top as one of the risks, not only that was keeping them up at night the most, but also one of the ones they felt was the least protected by insurance. Yeah. And, and similarly, I think it was, they made some cool tables and things where it'd be like, insurable or like mm. uh, insured and then another one would be not insured and then there'd be not enough insured yeah uh, and typically reputation fell into that category you could get some basic types of kind of crisis response yeah product but a lot of the potential reputational financial loss in particular mm. and long-term i uh, potential opportunity cost i guess yeah. of reputational damage was something that felt you could not insure against yeah so i and i think it's hard it's harder for and the, i think the reason it's on the top of these sort of concern lists is in the current world we live in with the um the 
the scope of social uh, social media and the impact it has on society and the ease by which news gets shared and circulated, the the risk you have of like something going sideways and then everybody knowing about it is very, very different than it would have been 10 or 15 years ago. So the risk has been elevated. Um, so as a brand, and, and, certain, and certain brands can lean into character, right? You see um, they can be quite uh, provocative with their advertising or their labeling, and they're, mm-hmm. they're leaning into having more of an expression of who they are and what they stand for. Yeah. Um, but other brands, spe- specifically our industry, can't really have that same voice. Mm-hmm. Like the, you're not going to get provocative ads from an insurer because our brands stand for stability and longevity and robustness and and all of these sort of you know imagery, this sort of imagery that it would present. Where you look at consumer brands, there's a lot more willingness to sort of lean into what you stand for, whether mm-hmm. and and then whether that gets picked up and supported by the market is kind of. The, the risk that they're taking there. Well, I think this is probably why it's such a risky topic as well as that mm. you have, on one hand, generic business activities and, you know, what you do as business as usual, that could cause you a reputational risk, you know, like something happens that means there's an irregularity in your finances that then damages your reputation or a an employee goes a bit rogue and does something wrong in a a way that's sufficiently public to your customers or similar that affects yeah. your your revenue but then there's like this next tier where if you're a brand rather than a company that has a name you know like mm-hmm. if you're if you're perpetuating quite a, a strong brand image yeah i um, typically that means you're proactively trying to engage with uh, your your clients your customers and to make them feel a certain way mm. or to make them react a certain way to yeah. something you put in front of them so in a weird way, there's also a huge degree of moral hazard here yep. because you, you're, if you're able to insure against the reputational risk, you're going to do more risky things, yeah. <laughs> which is going to increase the risk that you, yeah. you need that insurance. Uh, like if I know I'm insured for sponsoring a particularly controversial you know, celebrity mm. with my brand, then I'm more likely to do it. Whereas yeah. if I'm not insured, I'm probably going to pick a very safe celebrity yeah. that is non-controversial. Yeah. You can <laughs> lean into that higher risk, high reward celebrity, yeah. knowing that there's a safety net if it all goes sideways. But it, but isn't that what insurance is for? I guess in many ways, time, right? yeah. 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 Allowing you to take a bit of a gamble. Well and I and I think when you see that you you'll look at the brands who have that freedom and they will lean into their social sort of mm. distribution channels more, right? Yeah. They'll have quite snarky Twitter back and forths and they'll have, you know, these kind of things because they're allowed to do that in in a way that other brands maybe yeah. maybe not so, um, and, but when you look at like an organization and, and you've sort of you are a bit more familiar with the various products available, you have the reputational risk of if your CEO is, uh, you know, convicted of fraud. You know, so you'll have board level like products that protect against like something very very serious there, but are there also products that sort of exist going like what happens if there's a story in a, a few years ago I think now, but um, one of your employees like sends off a racist tweet and then gets on an international flight and when they land six hours later, like Twitter's blown up and you're having to fire this. It's like this whole spectacle. Like, is there products that protect a brand against like the rogue behavior of of employees and how might those be positioned? Or is that one of those product gaps that you were sort of referencing? So so in a a rare 
not first, but in a, in a rare instance, I did do some research prior yeah. to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went looking to see, you know, what what reputational insurance can you buy, and uh, to your point, you can buy some things, but it's actually interesting. It's arguable that it's not insurance as such, mm. uh, in the sense of because reputation, as they say, takes a lifetime to build, and you know, moments to ruin, or yep. words to that effect. I it's very difficult to indemnify somebody who's had a reputational loss, you know, yeah. to put them back in the place they were in previously. You can't unsay things that have been said or undo things that have been done. That's now part of your reputation. Yeah. Uh, so what insurance companies can do uh, is to pay for services. So this is a really popular approach uh, to know that you have on call a 24 seven crisis management hotline mm. uh, with experts who can sweep in and go, okay, next step, yeah. you've got to get a press release out that says this, yeah. you've got to take launch, you know, X investigation to go and figure out what's going on. So that's a very popular part. I, that most insurers seem to offer some kind of partnership with a, a specialist uh, team that can, that can do something about it for you. It's, it's actually reminded me of like kidnap and ransom insurance yeah. and, and these kind of lines yeah. where, and cyber to some Cyber, and yeah, that was where, what jumped to mind. Yeah, the yeah. most valuable thing in a way is, you know, you, you're not going to be able to get back the thing that you've lost necessarily with money, although it's even questionable yeah. whether you should. It's almost you need a specialist team that's going to go in and do hostage negotiations yeah. or, you know, extract yeah. that person that's been, oh, who knows. Yeah. Um, the... Other thing that I've seen from a quick look around is that there are a few insurers who will actually offer the financial loss aspect of reputational damage. Mm. And what they try to do there is they look at various trigger points. I, you know, has an identifiable like single event happened within some parameters. Are they able to then trace that event directly to changes in revenue yeah. and sort of map a, a loss of revenue? whilst indexing that against other factors like you know broader economic environment seasonality etc you know yeah. so you're not like oh our sales went down i um, in the months from september to november versus june to august i uh, and it must be because i don't know jenny has been writing unpopular things on on yeah, social media yeah, yeah. I, they'll be like, no, you're an ice cream salesman that's why you sales i that's that's the kind of thing they have to manage for is trying to isolate specifically how much of your revenue that you lost yeah. was due to that event and I think that's always been a challenge for customers is knowing to what extent the burden of proof is on them mm -hmm. to show that it was because of that event because it's very very hard to prove yeah well and and similar to things like cyber loss being able to then point to this is the reason you like quantifying and monetizing in many ways what that loss is and that's very very tricky and i think um historically when we think about this as a product you'd think mostly about celebrities and mm -hmm. politicians and these types of things but more and more frequently and i think because of the way um brands get presented in the media you're getting it where brand leadership is like things you want to associate with those individuals even if you look at if you look at brand engagement oftentimes the, the heads of those firms have more followers or more engagement than the firms themselves in more of these channels. Um, so you're seeing more companies put their leadership in front of the, of the public to, to drive that engagement. But it does open up 
a different channel in which there's this exposure now to a class of individuals who may have been protected previously. They weren't yeah. movie stars or politicians who had this sort of naturally public profile, but they've been brought up now to to have it, which carries a bigger weight against and a risk against their firms. Yeah, we've we put them on a pedestal, haven't we? Yeah. In some ways, there's this, this new very high expectations of, of conduct and all sorts of things yeah. I, in that sphere. And you made me think, actually, interestingly, a lot of the leaders then become a sort of focal point for discussion of company behavioral issues that are actually also at the corporate level because they're deemed to have the role of deciding sort of the corporation's attitude towards certain things. Yep. Um, and it means that I've actually seen in a few of the products advertised as well, a lot of reputational risk is now being positioned closely to ESG as well. So you have this balance between, on one hand, you know, it's about what that CEO says in Twitter, but also what they publish in their financial results at mm -hmm. the end of the year, but also the claims they make about their ESG targets and yeah. the gender pay gap and the uh, achievement of fossil fuel reduction and yeah. investment, etc. Uh, all sorts of things which have a ton of different stakeholder groups to manage, uh, activists and so on that, that might get involved and pick on different parts of the company to yeah. engage with. Uh, so it's a minefield, I think, for yeah. for these firms. Uh, rightly so, some might say. Yeah. I well, and, and this is, I think, the impact of a much more connected, socially, social network-driven environment that we're in is any fringe group with a belief against a cause or for a cause or whatever it might be can cherry pick a thing in your financial statement that irritates them for whatever yep. misalignment to the cause that they particularly care about yep. and just like that you've got protesters outside your office mm -hmm. for a thing that you maybe didn't really consider or think about with in yep. great depth and mm -hmm. um so i think it's increasingly difficult to navigate because you're trying to have a lens on sort of like all topics mm -hmm. that humans care about <laughs> and and in many ways have a position even though like it might not even remotely align to the what your company does but if you've not made a stance against this issue in this country you might get pushback for yeah. even though it's not even though you sell water or something right and, and i think it's figuring out the role for insurance here must be very hard because you've got a balance of known risks that you're taking and sort of unknown risks that you're, you're taking. So yeah. I, all of a sudden you could find yourself in a crisis for an issue you didn't know was bubbling away in the background or you were unaware of your company's importance with respect to X narrative. Yeah. But then you have some known risks that you take, like when you say, right, we want to back this celebrity or we want to similarly, I don't know, sponsor a event or a sports team or, mm. or who knows what it would be i'm and i wonder how different that conversation is when you sit down with a an insurer and you say we want to do this we think this decision could impact our reputation mm. could be a massive success in which case great or it could you know be an absolute disaster and, yeah. and tank our brand we saw for example i one well covered i beer company i can't remember which one it was now I so I won't name them just in case I get it wrong, but uh, they decided to go in the U.S. with a big campaign with a transgender rights activist yeah. of some kind. I and that led to, on one hand, I 
you know, support from some groups mm -hmm. and then entire states, uh, the other that then like seem to, in the US, reject this brand all of a sudden and start some like huge boycotting campaigns and all yeah. sorts, right? And you've got to imagine, did they sit down before that whole process and say, with their insurers, this could go one of two ways, you mm -hmm. know, we could emerge as the people's champion and resonate with current thinking, or we could alienate, you know, a yeah. huge part of the population that thinks differently. Yeah. Um, but, but by choosing to say anything or have a voice at all, you're always taking yeah. you're taking a risk there. So I guess that partnership angle with insurers is, is critical. Yeah. Well, and I think there's this balance then of sort of being authentic mm -hmm. and like virtue signaling. Yeah, like, indeed. Yeah. Right? So in many ways, in, in, and again, this, I think it lends itself better to consumer brands, but in many ways, I think it's good for brands to kind of say, this is what we care about and what we stand mm -hmm. for. And um, there's this buzzword now around, it, it maybe more in the US than it is here in, in, in England, but um, there's a buzz around like cancel culture and things, which mm -hmm. I think is, is kind of a lazy way to describe something. I think in many ways you're saying, well, I believe this thing. And if a bunch of people disagree with me, they have, abs they have every right in the world to say, well, I'm just not gonna buy your product. Mm -hmm. Like, and if, if, if I've done something so egregious that literally no one wants to buy my product ever again, yeah. Okay, I've made a, a big mistake there, but we're sort of saying people can vote with their money. Yeah, and it's like, oh, you back a cause that I don't agree with, I can choose to purchase a competing brand or not buy something, mm -hmm. and and that's just the economic instead of the invisible hand at, at yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hence the strong relationship with the ESG angles, right? Correct. But I see what does your company stand for? Yeah, and and the, but the other thing that's happening there is there's this real challenge of our companies doing enough? And that's mm. another one where they're saying, well, we're gonna make this step to do the right thing. And then you yeah. equally get people coming out and going, you're not doing enough. Mm. You're like, we're trying. <laughs> right? I so mean, that could argue maybe not an event, right, as well. Right. You're trying to put that into an insurance contract. What is the event? Well, it's actually a non-event. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we didn't champion this movement or yeah. make a statement on this cause or yeah. similar has cost us. Like, I, you look at climate change, it's a massive obvious one mm -hmm. if you look at Black Lives Matter, if you look at some of these, the war in Ukraine, for yeah. example, a number, I mean, taking the latter, even recently, I remember seeing, I I think it was Unilever, I want to say, but apologies again mm. to the Unilever Corporation if I've misnamed you. I recently, a large, fast-moving consumer goods provider uh, that still has like a, a presence in Russia that's kind of stuck there, mm. has come under a lot of pressure I, from uh, external stakeholders because they haven't sort of disbanded but they pointed out it's really complicated basically if we leave yeah. then the state will just take over all of our people and our gear and rebrand and carry on without us at least we've got like a smidgen of control yeah if we stay in so it's so like all sorts of complicated non-event type things that could also be a trigger for people getting angry at your company and not buying your stuff anymore well, and I think um, what's also become popular for, for a lot of brands is during, it's almost now every month of the year has a thing it stands for, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's like, oh, we'll change the colors of our logo to reflect the Ukrainian flag. Or it's like, yeah. or, are you, or what are you doing to support these? Like, oh, nothing. But we, we changed our company logo to be mm -hmm. a rainbow this month or Ukrainian flag for the support. Like, and it's good to show you have support for those causes, but are you doing anything or is it just... You're trying to say like, thumbs up, guys. <laughs> like it's yeah. that that feels so empty. And I think those there's this need for brands to have authenticity, but 
people are inherently, everyone has an opinion on everything now, mm-hmm. which is fair and they should have that right. But as brands need to lean into authenticity, it opens up a huge sort of uh, target space for people to come in and attack them at all manner. So it's, it's like, I think I think that's a why. very sharp two-sided sword that yeah, we're dealing I, with I, now. I agree, and I think that's probably why it's ended up moving almost away from the brands and towards these big personalities. Like, yeah. You know, wh- this inseparable uh, identity now between Zuckerberg and Facebook, as well, yeah. whatever Meta, Meta, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Musk and, and Twitter and yeah. X or SpaceX yeah. and all, all the various. Yeah. I, I, by the way, as, as a complete aside, I, the fact that he's going with the X brand just sets up such a beautiful kind of alphabet versus the missing letter X scenario <laughs> one day. But anyway, I'm sure the media will cotton onto that at some point. Um, but these kind of cult personalities yeah. are maybe useful and maybe easier to ensure than the whole brand itself, right? Because you've yeah. got a full person, you've got a, a level of distance that you can create. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the views of the person expressed there are solely the private views of that person and not the views of the corporation. Yeah, which I, I think the thing that feels really strange with Twitter and X now is like the absolute like chaos in which it's being run. Like they instituted a rebrand, like they, they asked you to submit logos online and then picked one on a Sunday night and changed it on Monday. Like mm-hmm. half the site is still in Twitter and blue and the bird and everything. And the other half is like this very haphazard. It's just, yeah. When you look at how other big, when you look at compared to the the Facebook meta transition, it was super buttoned up. There was a massive release that a brand new logo, the whole thing switched in an hour and it was all like very tightly done. It's like (laughs) Elon Musk is there just like. (laughs) But you you raised something important here, which is also the, (laughs) you look at uh, the law of defamation, for example. Mm There's there's a defense which is truth. I to what extent is reputational damage insurable against in the scenario where it's untruth versus mm. when it's kind of based on fact, right? Yeah. Like uh, people are buying our products because they think they break all the time. Do they break all the time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or like yeah. uh, people have accused us of very publicly of this thing. And it's like, well, is it true? Is it? Well, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, how can you ensure? Or to what extent can you insure against? I think I think I may have seen actually some of the wordings they talked about, I pre-crisis and post-crisis, mm-hmm. and it, is, it reminds me of another form of insurance actually, the uh, the, the legal uh, expenses type insurances. Oh yeah, where there's like a you can buy legal protection pre somebody suing you. Yeah. In which case it's like just in case somebody sues you, and you can also buy it like somebody's just told me they're going to sue me. And the costs could be huge, We've but been we don't know. And now, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is then like after the event kind of yeah. insurance instead. But uh, yeah, I presume it must be similar reputation, no yeah. damage wise, right? Like you have to, it has to be fortuitous. Yeah. You know, this has to be an unexpected thing that we can both gamble on, probably not happy, happening, but just in case it does. But if yeah. you go in with a, we know that this is a problem already, we think it could cause us damage, we just don't know how much damage, then it's much more of an after the event. Yeah. kind of coverage i guess yeah well if we if we turn the lens then to our industry and how the insurance and reinsurance and broking communities sort of think about their own reputations mm-hmm. and the risks that they face and how they mitigate against those because the thing that they're protect they're protecting in the 
imagery that they're trying to protect uh, or uh, re- uh, retain in many ways is this idea that they're there for the long haul, they're really stable, they're secure, they're trusted, all these types of things. And um, many, in many ways, um, for the insurers, mm. the most important reputation that they can have is do they pay their claims, right? The reason reinsurance many, in many ways exists is to help protect them against that reputational risk of going, hang on, those guys don't pay claims. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so they use the reinsurance sort of vehicle as a way to ensure that they always can have the capital needed to protect against the most fundamental of reputational damages that they have. Um, when you look at the individuals in our space, you also have big personalities and brands and, and protecting their reputations is because they also not only represent the firms that they are currently at, hmm. but those brands carry weight and they carry yeah. power. You look at the the rise of Convex or the Miguel Group as they've sort of grown out. Like, hmm. yeah, you took people who were, had great reputations and had a history of a track record of success. When they spin out and do something new, they attract talent, they attract capital, and and that scales up very very quickly. So, you are trying to protect against those sort of near term objectives and sort of growth and long-term ambitions as well yeah and it's, it's funny i think you made the point that you're looking for brands when you're looking for an insurer that are reliable there for the long term etc it is funny it must be quite restrictive in some ways for those brands as a whole who want to have a bit of an identity or a bit of a a nuance about them because yeah. at the end of the day companies that or individuals that want to buy insurance it's like you know who am i going to trust to look after my children <laughs> yeah you know who am i going to give lots of my money to yeah. with the hope of being able to get it back from them yeah. when i want right? you you, you want to give it to that reliable stable person who you can depend upon not the person who's like more at the yeah. risky end of the spectrum who yeah. does lots of dangerous <laughs> activities and keeps company with with people who sit on the wrong side of the law you know yeah. <laughs> well and and in that it to that vein that's that's exactly why our brands are so like dry at many times yeah, like, at least it's like and real, not to hurt any bo- reassuring story <laughs> yeah <laughs> and not to hurt anyone's feelings if they're listeners but like if you manage the like social media accounts for like an insurance company yeah it's probably not the most ex- like you're you're not running it for like a dynamic consumer brand that's very cheeky it has this <laughs> personality it's like here is my very tedious <laughs> but that's the brand you're rep- representing and protecting is that kind of like look at me i'm just all reliable <laughs> yeah. and it, it does become very scripted and yeah. very kind of i so what <laughs> I, I think i think even to the point where that goes beyond i public and like socials and all that sort of thing yeah. like and, and disclosure even to the point where you have like your reinsurer meetings and things, right? And the student uh, is sort of toured around by the broker who introduces them to all the underwriters again for their annual sit down. Yeah. And both sides come with, like, even if they meet externally outside of this formal sit down conversation and they talk about all their gossip on the sides, for this formal meeting, they've got like a, a formal script that they all take turns to read off. Here are the time. They've almost words. like rehearsed before yeah. the, the real meeting. Yeah. So like, yes, we have had a very good year, thank you you yeah <laughs> sorry that was on a new line um <laughs> we have recruited this new person yeah. which means that the company will be especially profitable yeah um something something about a bit uh, um yeah. please reinsure us well, well and i think when you look at and and that permeates across the engagement of our i think the reason you have um 
you have the publications in our industry that get so much attention and so much interest is that they're covering like the gossip and the the what's happening underneath the uh, or behind the scenes behind the curtain um and i think the reason that that those publications are so appealing is because if you just let our industry just give you the press releases and it's they suck out anything of interest because they don't want to be too contentious they want it to be boring and stable and the same thing with mm-hmm. oh can we can you comment to our white papers it's like well let me get the pr team's approval for a thing we're going to strip out anything that would have added some additional color for fear it might accidentally cause there's this risk aversion that happens so you get this here are the pre-approved press releases from our pr team that we can say does this thing it's it's interesting right you think especially in our space because the the consumer insurers at least can have a little bit of fun they can sponsor you know sports stadiums and all yeah. that. they often do yeah. I and they do TV ads and they can be a bit humorous with those yeah. etc but in the commercial space you, you probably have a brand aspiration which is like we want to be really famous but mm-hmm. like but what for mm-hmm. and it's like well <laughs> nothing nothing that's going to really be something to write home mm-hmm. about to be honest yeah. that's just famous for being good at yeah. the same thing everyone else is good at yeah. we just want to be in the list of Famous at being good <laughs> insurance companies or yeah. reinsurers or brokers, etc. Yeah. I think some of them have succeeded in choosing an attribute or a couple of attributes that they particularly excel in, I, but maybe at the expense of others. Others are we're great at everything. Yeah, I, but it's it must be hard to define your yeah your brand values. Yeah, and, and and so these are the things when you th- when I was when I was sort of thinking about this this topic more broadly, you. C- like I think the meandering of this conversation sort of shows like all the nuance of mm. where you have products, where you have risk, and then how companies, if there's no product that really exists there, how they then build in structural pr- protection against like, oh, well, we won't allow these things to go out unless it gets pre-approved here because mm-hmm. if something goes sideways, like it just is going to crush, you know, kill our premium volumes or reputation, whatever that might be. And sure, we could get a PR agency or a, whatever the firms are that put the mm-hmm. fires out um, to come in and support that in many ways, the damage has been done mm-hmm. and it's they're needing to, to sort of manage that. I think we'll talk about it when we do the news later, but this is the reason this Vestu story is getting so much interest for those who are following it is because it's threatening like one of the core foundational mm-hmm. um, things you're trying to protect against this reputation of we will be there to pay your claims we've set up all these complex instruments to guarantee we'll be there to pay the claims and our client and and very very quickly it's gone that might not always be true yeah and just like that the whole industry went what and did like the sort of strain your neck double take right and and i think that's why that story which is is gaining that sort of interest is because it's potentially breaking the most fundamental reputational risk that this industry protects itself against yeah absolutely but Oof. we'll save that. Let's save the for an upcoming, an up, upcoming news you have roundup. To watch for the July news roundup for that one. Yeah. What a, what an episode. Although actually, we might publish the July news before this episode comes out. So we hope you enjoyed. In which case, listening to the July news roundup. <laughs> <laughs> so Thank you from the future. <laughs> yeah, faster release cycle on the news ones. <laughs> Enjoy both, whatever yeah. you do. Yeah, exactly. Hit play. Hit and skip to go to the next episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. See you next time. See you next time.